You are about to listen to one of the five sample lessons for the Arizona Real Estate Salesperson Exam Prep audio lessons. The full length of this series of audio lessons is 8 hours and 42 minutes and consists of 20 individual lessons to help you prepare for the Arizona Real Estate Salesperson Exam. If you like these lessons, you might consider going and buying the full bundle of audio lessons at the website reexampodcast.com. Thank you. Welcome to this lesson entitled Real Estate Economics. In this lesson, we will be talking about some of the terms and concepts about how things fluctuate in the world of real estate. It's always fluctuating, going up and down based on different factors. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those factors and how that works. So let's go ahead and get started. We'll talk about supply and demand. We'll talk about market equilibrium. We'll talk about the economic characteristics of real estate. We'll talk about the difference between depreciation and appreciation. And we'll talk about demographics and how those affect real estate economics. So let's go ahead and dive into that. At the very heart of economics, both in real estate and just in general, are the terms supply and demand. Supply and demand. If we want to talk about economics, we first have to tackle supply and demand. So the supply just means how much of a product or service is available. When we're talking about real estate, the supply is how much of a particular kind of property is available. If you're residential, how many residential properties are available? If you are working commercial properties, how many businesses are available? That sort of thing. And so it's important um, to think of this as how many are out there? How many are people going to be allowed to get? So that once that you've thought of that, then you need to think of the demand. And the demand simply means how much do people actually want? So you have supply, this is how much is out there, but then you have to think, well, how much? Do, how many of these things do people actually want? Because you're only going to be able to sell as many as people are actually wanting. And so if people don't want it, then you're kind of out of luck. So there's always a, re a relationship between supply and demand. Typically, if the supply of a product increases, the price is going to decrease. If you have more and more of something, it's not as scarce. If it's not a scarce resource, people are not going to have to pay as much for it. Then if the demand increases, that is going to make the price increase, increase. So supply increases, the price decreases. If the demand increases, then the price also increases. So if more and more people want a particular something, it's more in demand, then people are going to be willing to pay more for it, especially if the supply is low. If the supply is low, then the price is going to go up quite a bit because there's going to be competition as to who is going to get what. And there is this desirable state of affairs called market equilibrium. Market equilibrium is this great place where the supply and the demand exactly meet each other. You have exactly as much of a product as people want. And then it's going to be at exactly the right price. It's not too expensive. It's not too cheap. It's just right at market equilibrium. The hard thing is that's a really hard state to achieve. It's hard to get exactly the right number of things for the right number of people. Because the, 
these factors are always changing. There's always new people entering the market. The demands are constantly shifting. The supply is shifting. So it's really hard to nail that down. But the idea is you want to get as close to that as you possibly can. You, you know that you're probably not going to reach that very often, if at all, but that is the goal, at least. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the economic characteristics of real estate. The first one we already mentioned is that it's governed by supply and demand. The supply and demand is going to determine the different market conditions, the different fluctuations in the market. It has durability. Real estate is something that lasts for a long time. There are a lot of products out there that aren't going to last for decades and decades or even hundreds of years in some cases, but it, real estate does have that sort of durability in many cases. In any case, it's, it's more durable than most products. The next is that it is, has heterogeneity, and that's just kind of a fancy way of saying that no two pieces of real estate are exactly the same. Even if you build a whole row of houses that have the precisely the same blueprint and are built by the same builder with the same materials, those houses are all in different locations. They're not exactly the same. They're on different spots in the street. You can't physically have a house that occupies the same location as another house. And so by virtue of that, it's a little bit different even than a house that's extremely similar. So that's another thing. There's a lot of products where everything is just the same from product to product. You don't get a unique product in every case. But in this case, everything, absolutely everything that you sell is. And so that's a good thing to keep in mind. The next is that there are high transaction costs. That means to sell a home to make a, or a piece of property of any type, there's going to be high transaction costs. There's going to be a lot of money involved. It's going, not easy to just go ahead and sell a house in a day. You can't do this. You have to go through all sorts of hoops and paperwork and fees and so on and so forth. So that's not, that's not like a lot of things where you can just go ahead and sell something in a day. Like if you're selling a car, it's, it's not so hard to sell that quickly. But if you're selling a home, that's not something that you can do from today until tomorrow. The next and I, I touched on the next one a little bit too, is that there are long time delays. It's not something that happens quickly. There's all sorts of steps in this process that have to be done. There's the, the appraiser has to come, the inspectors have to come, the, all the paperwork has to be signed, the financing has to be secured. There's lots of steps. And so it's not like a lot of products that you can just sell them really quickly. There's that time component built into any real estate transaction. Another thing that's interesting about real estate economically is that it's both a consumption good and an investment good, which means that you can either buy it to a home or a piece of property to use yourself, to live in yourself or whatever, or you can use it to rent out to other people or to fix it up and, and flip the house and re resell it as an investment. So it can be either an investment or something that you use yourself, which is really not the case in a lot of different things. So that's another thing to keep in mind. It, another thing is that these um, real estate is immobile. It's not something you can take with you. It can't go from place to place. If you have a car, of course, you can move that around. If you've got most other kinds of property are mobile. You can take them with you. If you move to somewhere else, you can take it with you. Real estate, not so much. We also have that it has another characteristic is that it has inherent value. Property, just by the virtue of being property, has inherent value to someone. It, it, that value can be different 
from one person to another, but it has inherent value. It also has a unique appeal. There's nothing that quite meets the appeal of that real estate does. There's nothing else that you can substitute in that will be the same as real estate. So that's another interesting factor that you have to think about. It is illiquid. That means you can't easily turn it into cash. There are many things that you could just sell off quickly and get a quick buck out of it. But this, like I said, takes a long time and effort and money. And so you can't just quickly turn it into cash. You've got to wait a while. And uh, then finally, you might get some money out of it at the end, but it's not going to be something that you can quickly turn into spendable assets. It has a slow response to cycles. So if there's different cycles in the economy, they're not, it's not going to quickly, volatilely change. It, it takes a little while for those things to kick in and to trickle down to the real estate market. And then finally, the market is decentralized. There's real estate all over the place. There's not one central location where people have to go and get their real estate from. It's all over the place. And so we, we say that the market is decentralized. It is not centralized. Next, I'd like to talk about the difference between appreciation and depreciation. So really, these two are just opposites. Appreciation means that something is gaining in value over time. Many properties do appreciate, that meaning that you are able to sell them for more than you initially bought them, and you can make money that way. So that a lot of properties do appreciate, though properties can also suffer depreciation. Depreciation meaning that it's losing value over time, and there's many reasons that something can depreciate. So for example, just wear and tear. Properties are exposed to the elements, they have humans living inside them who you know, walk on them all the time and bump the walls and wear out the paint and the carpet and everything, that wear and tear over time does cause depreciation. But there are also different ways that you can calculate depreciation as well. It's a hard thing to pin down exactly how much something has depreciated. You have to sometimes guess and use different kinds of formulas to estimate about how much something has depreciated. But there's, like I said, there's not just one way to do that either. And so let's look at a few different ways that depreciation can be calculated. The first is just a straight line depreciation. And straight line depreciation simply means you take the cost minus the salvage value, which is how much you could get if you just scrapped the property and sold it off for raw materials. At the end of the life of a property, often not all that much. And then you divide that by the number of years of useful life. So saying I could get 30 years of useful life out of this property, that means you then would divide that by 30. And so this, this is assuming that a property depreciates at the same rate every year. So every year you just say it's worth this much less. So that, that's one way to do it. Then we also have what's called the double declining balance, which is calculated by taking the beginning book value and, and multiplying it by the rate of depreciation. It's just another way of looking at depreciation. We also have units of production, which is not something that's used in real estate very much, but so for every, how many units you could get out of a, say, a, a factory machine, and you divide it by the, the total number of, the total of time, the total number of years is going to be useful, and you say, well, it, it depreciates by about this much for every unit that it makes, but that's not something that's typically used in real estate. Then we have finally the most complicated, but one of the, perhaps one of the most accurate, called the sum of the year's digits. 
where it's a little bit more complicated of a formula. You take the remaining life, so how many years it has left, and divide that by the sum of the year's digits. So let's say it has 10 years of useful life. The sum of the year's digits would then be 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 plus 8 plus 9 plus 10. So you take that number, I put that as the, the denominator of the fraction, and then you put the number of years of remaining life as the numerator of the fraction, and then you multiply that by the cost minus the salvage value. And what this does is this says that something is going to depreciate the most in its first year, and then it will depreciate a little bit less the next year, a little less the year after that, and so on and so forth. So it's a sort of diminishing returns formula of depreciation. So it's just another way of looking at depreciation. And finally, I want to talk about demographics because demographics are something that can affect supply and demand. Demographics are just are attributes about a certain population. It can be the population size, how fast the population is growing, the average family size within a population, whether they've got large families, small families, family children, how old the ages of the people are. There are a lot of senior citizens, are there are a lot of young people. The death rates, how, how fast are people dying off, how fast are people being born, how fast are people getting married and divorced. All of these things can factor into the demographics of an area. Different demographics are going to produce different results. So the, the supply and the demand for certain kinds of properties are going to be different with different demographics. For example, let's say you've got a town that has a lot of college students in it. Take a second to think. What kind of residential properties are college students going to be more likely looking for? What's the demand going to be high for? Well, if you think about college students, they're not looking for large, elaborate houses. They're looking for cheap apartments. They're usually paying tuition and working a part-time job or not working at all and just paying off student loans. They're not going to want something that is going to cost them a lot. In, a, in rent or in a mortgage payment. So the demand is going to be probably for smaller, cheaper apartments or condos that they can get into and that you can pack a lot of people in a small place that's it's got reasonable transportation to the university. It's not too far away. It's not too hard to get to. So you see how the demographic there affects the kind of people, the supply and the demand that's going to be present. Now think about how would the demographics be different if there are a lot of senior citizens in the area, a lot of uh, older men and women, who a lot of them are retired. How, is, how are the demographics going to be different than that of a, say, population that has a lot of college students instead? So if you think about that, they're typically going to want not like a little apartment. They want maybe, say, a senior living community somewhere where they have amenities, where they can be supported, somewhere that's not going to have a lot of stairs to go up. It's all on one floor. Maybe there's a, a senior center nearby, maybe, and maybe it's a, a gated community, so there's more security. There's just all these things that you can think about as to what different demographics are going to want. So that's really important to know the demographics of the area in which you are doing business, because they are going to affect how you do your business. So that's a really important thing to remember. Next, so finally, I want to talk about one additional concept. Housing supply is produced using land, labor, and materials. So you've got, you've got the place to build something. You've got the people 
to actually do the building, and you've got the materials to use in doing the building. So that's the that's how you create the supply. The price, the supply then, is then also beholden to the cost of those materials, the price of existing houses, and the technology that produces them. So as the price of the land, labor, or materials fluctuates, the supply is going to fluctuate as well. As the price of those things go up, then there's going to be less supply. People are not going to be able to make as much if the prices are going up, though vice versa also. If the prices are going down, then the supply will naturally increase because it will be easier, be cheaper to go ahead and build those things. All right, let's go ahead and let you quiz yourself. Go back and see what you remember. If you're doing well, then you can move on. If you don't remember all these questions yet, it might be good to review what we've talked about in this lesson. So you can go back and review again and test yourself again. So let's go ahead and jump into this. What is then the difference between supply and demand? The difference between supply and demand. Supply is just how much of something that you have. And the demand is how much of something do people actually want. And these two are always playing off each other. What happens to the price if either the supply or the demand increases? So both the supply and demand affect the price in a different way. What is that? So if the supply increases, the price is going to decrease. And if the demand increases, the price is going to increase. That's just how it works. And what then is market equilibrium? If you've reached market equilibrium, what has happened? If you've reached market equilibrium, then well done, it's not easy to do. That's when the supply and the demand are exactly the same. They are completely balanced with each other and you've got the very best price possible. But that's hard to do. What then are some of the economic characteristics of real estate that we talked about? There is a whole list of them. See if you can remember a few of those. So I'm going to go ahead and read the list. Let's see if you can see how many of these that you remembered. It is governed by supply and demand, of course. It has durability. It has heterogeneity. There are high transaction costs and long time delays. It's both an investment good and a consumption good. It is immobile. It has inherent value and unique appeal. It is illiquid. It has a slow response to cycles. And the market is decentralized. So all of those things are important economic characteristics of real estate. Next, what is the difference between appreciation and depreciation? See if you can remember that. So appreciation is just when something is gaining in value. 
And depreciation is something that is losing in value. So that's the difference there. What are the different ways that you can calculate depreciation that we talked about? See if you remember a few of those. So you've got straight line depreciation, which is just the cost minus the salvage value over the years of useful life. The double declining balance, which is the beginning book value times the rate of depreciation. Units of production, which is not typically used in real estate. We've got, and finally we have the sum of the year's digits, which is the, the remaining life divided by the sum of the year's digits times the cost minus the salvage value, which gives you a greater rate of depreciation initially that goes down over time. So that's another way. The next question is, what are demographics and what are some examples of demographics? Demographics are just different characteristics about a population of people. And they can include the population size, the rate of growth, family size, their age and family makeup, death, marriage, and divorce rates, and many other things. So give me one example about how demographics actually affect supply and demand. So there are a lot of things that go along with this, but for example, if you have an area where there are lots of young families, you're going to have a, a greater demand for houses that have more bedrooms that are able to house entire families and not just little apartments that don't have enough room for a growing family. For these next couple questions, I'm going to give you a scenario and I want you to think about what will happen in this scenario based on what we've learned about real estate economics. So think about the things that we've talked about and decide what you think is going to happen. So let's say you have a community and in this community, a large company comes in and builds a factory. And in this factory, they're going to hire dozens and dozens of factory workers, so entry level workers. This community up to this point has been kind of like a farming community. And so you've got all sorts of single family dwellings that are sort of spaced out really few and far between. So what do you think in this case, what kind of demand is there going to be in this community? What does the supply for that likely look like? Describe what you think the supply and demand are going to be in this community in this particular situation. I'll give you a minute to think about that and then go ahead and see what you think and I'll tell you what I think. So in this case, if you think there's going to be an influx of these factory workers, sort of entry-level jobs, they're not going to want great big houses. The demand for large multi-bedroom houses is not going to skyrocket. They're going to be looking for affordable housing. A lot of these people will, will probably be single or will have only small families if they're trying to get an entry-level job at a factory. And so 
what's probably going to go up is the demand for apartments and condos, things a single bedroom or two bedroom, or even small houses, they places for rent, or people can just rent out people's basements or whatever it is that that demand is going to go up. But in this case, the supply is probably not very high because it's previously been just a sort of rural farming community that that demand hasn't been there before. And so the supply of that is not going to be very good. So what in this case, how would this affect the price of the say you've got a two bedroom apartment that is already built in town? How is that going to affect the price and why? So in this case, you think about, well, the demand is going way up. There's all sorts of demand, but the supply is probably pretty limited. So high demand increases the price and low supply also increases the price. So both the supply and demand factors are increasing the price. So in all likelihood, the price of this particular apartment is going to go way up until you can get other people in to start building more apartments like it, injecting more of the supply into the markets, then more of the demand is going to be met and the price will likely go down. But until that happens, the price on any available apartments of that type is likely to skyrocket. And that's all for our lesson for today. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you learned from this last audio lesson, and if you did, you might consider buying the full bundle of audio lessons at reexampodcast.com. Best of luck in your studies.